0: Welcome to Notre Dame Week on the Savage Pads Podcast. We've got the heroes of the previous two Georgia-Notre Dame games with us for today's show. Rose Bowl champ Davin Bellamy is joining us to break down the play that saved Georgia's 2018 season against Notre Dame and discuss how Georgia's road crowd impacted that team and what was one of the greatest games in Georgia football history. And speaking of greatest games in Georgia football history, no game could be greater in magnitude Than the 1980 National Championship, which solidified Georgia as a national powerhouse forevermore. We've all seen the interception that sealed that championship for the Dogs, and now we have the opportunity to hear from the man who sealed the win himself. Scott Warner is widely recognized as one of the greatest defensive playmakers in college football history, and it's my privilege to host the College Football Hall of Famer on this week's show. Scott and I will discuss his play in the 1980 National Championship game, the similarities between that team and this one and much much more in the show's final two segments frequent correspondents Corey Amick and Caleb Gwynn will return to the show to roast Georgia Tech for their loss against the Citadel break down Georgia's performance against Arkansas State and look ahead to the biggest home game in recent memory for dog fans before we kick off an absolutely loaded show I want to tell you about the Georgia Bulldogs who we partnered with to make this episode happen After years of capturing some of the most iconic aspects of Georgia football through photography, our friends at Wright Photo are now offering officially licensed prints and decals. From high-quality prints and posters that are perfect for your dog cave to their all-new UV, heat, and water-resistant stickers that allow you to rep UGA on your laptops, water bottles, coolers, and cars, Wright Photo offers something for every dog fan. As someone with a right photo print in my dog cave and a right photo decal on the water bottle I take everywhere, I can attest to the addition these prints and decals make for a die-hard Georgia fan. And listeners of the show can save 15% off store-wide. Just visit shotbywright.com today and use our discount code, SAVAGE15. That's shotbywright.com, S-H-O-T-B-Y-W-R-I-G-H-T, Dot com, and our discount code is in all caps, SAVAGE15. Keep a piece of Athens with you wherever you are with an officially licensed photo print or decal from Wright Photo. Wright Photo helped us bring this loaded episode to you, so stay tuned.
1: practice every day. Man oh man, Mono in mono. He's he definitely six hour reminds me and myself as close as we uh, have right now to rope on.
2: When we scored, I honestly did not know where
1: I was for about five
3: seconds. Early on, uh, you could see with Jake, you know, just like with Fran talking, to, maybe one of the most underappreciated quarterbacks in the country. And we got to keep feeding the running back. I don't think we've
0: yet to see the tight ends. Around. I think
1: Georgia does a great job uh, bringing pressure on third down.
2: Turn around two weeks later in the SEC championship, we looked like a completely different team and we made them look like a completely different team. I mean, it's hard to get emotional thinking about it.
1: And it was my job to kind of get outside the corner and, uh, and as soon as I let it go, I knew it was good. From that point on, I kind of gained the trust of Aaron Murray as my quarterback. It, it was just special. Alex Simmons, he
3: was onside.
4: Everybody respects the
3: specs. That's what every Georgia fan should
1: hinge
2: their hopes on. Alabama and Georgia are the best two teams in the country.
4: I feel like we are the true one of that I have great confidence that we're going to see the personification of Georgia
0: football. Welcome to the Savage Pads podcast. The player who saved Georgia's season against Notre Dame in 2018 is on the line. Davin Bellamy, thank you for joining us.
1: What's up, man? How you doing, man? Glad to be here.
0: Yo, I'm good, and I'm very excited to have you on here. As you know, it's Notre Dame week, and when I think of Notre Dame UGA, I think of Davin Bellamy saving our season, and and, uh, it's great to have you here. But this this is the Savage Pads podcast, and in that game, you're one of the players who really helped make the Savage Pads – a thing. I mean, the 2018 Notre Dame game cemented that as a unique part of Georgia culture and history. Davin, can you tell us how the players were first introduced to the idea of the golden pads that have since become a staple of Georgia football?
1: Right, right. We um actually, this was around the time when everyone had like the turnover chains or right. like, the turnover um, thing like that. So um, we actually got the influence from our UGA spike squad. And, um, you know, it, it was kind of how it was our strength and conditioning coach. Um, he's always said, you know, the UJ spike squad, you know, they show so much love for those, uh-huh. for us and those, and those pads are sick and shit. So <laughs> let's, um, let's make them savage pads. And, um, that, that, uh, Notre Dame song, I think was like, what the first, um, was it the first time we brought the savage fans out, or one of the first times we brought the savage fans out, but it was uh, just basically a, a tribute to our UGA Spike Squad that sits front row all the time. Wow.
0: Well, I gotta say, I was uh, I was a member of the Spike Squad at the time, and uh, I know the guys listening that, that were also part of it, and even the ones that are part of it now, I had some of them on last week. I know that they're certainly proud of that, and uh, honored that that the players thought of him in that way. And it's really cool to see the connection between the fan base and the players. While while I'm on that topic, I mean, that, that game really was a perfect embodiment of that. And that's part of what made it special in an opposing stadium, 730 plus miles from Athens. Davin, as a player on that field, what do you remember about the light up Sanford ritual before the fourth quarter of that game? And how do you feel that it affected you and your teammates?
1: Um, it definitely affects us a lot because, not going to lie, at first, uh, with us playing in the SEC, a lot of guys have never played in Southern Bend, never uh, will, because, you know, they just don't match up with teams, mm-hmm. you know, in our conference. So it's not, it's not something you watch, it's only something you like hear about, but it's not something you see. So going into the game, we were almost like, I wouldn't say nervous, we were just, Kind of the fear of the unknown of like okay no one's ever played here before like it's this like this is South Bend like this is really going to be a road game a kind of us against them type game and then we get out there and have more than half of the stadium filled filled with red you know it it, it kind of just changed the whole concept of thinking where it's like all right it's not us against the world we got our fans here so that kind of gave us the effort the extra us and on defense being on the road. It's not really loud usually, Mm -hmm. but that game on the road, it was loud. And that always gives the defense a jump, and especially, you know, uh, pass rushers. But we had the best fans, you know, in the world. So I wouldn't expect anything less. Mm
5: -hmm.
0: Yeah, and in that game, after after the light-up Sanford in that fourth quarter, you went on to make one of the most famous plays in Georgia football history and that was a game that propelled Georgia into its place as a perennial national championship contender. I mean, if we hadn't won that game, 2018 never really happens. The Rose Bowl doesn't happen. Um, So Georgia hasn't looked back since then. So in a way, that play to me is is a play that changed Georgia football history, at least in the the recent history of Georgia football. Can you walk dog fans through the game-changing play that enabled Georgia to come out of South Bend with a win?
1: Right. Okay. <laughs> well. Um. And I appreciate the introduction, though. You know, it was
0: pretty dope. But um,
1: I um, well, actually, you know, me and the me and Mike have been battling all game. So um, you know, and like I said, he was a great player, so it was a great matchup. But um, I could have finished that game with like two, two and a half sacks. Man, I missed a couple, but the move okay. worked. Um. So I kind of put it in my back pocket. You know, kind of like a pitcher's. You know favorite pitch um because i had just beat him with that same move in the third quarter and, and so i saved it and um you know before we went out there me and zo looked at each other and said you know this is what we do you know uh since we've been here outside linebackers have made big plays you know with Leonard floyd Jordan jenkins him and myself and, like it's just another chapter so mm-hmm. let's go close it out and um all I remember is, like, going to that favorite pitch, man. Like, I do that move a thousand times at practice mm-hmm. a day. And um, I just faked him inside. He shot the hands, man. And I knocked him down. And when I turned the corner, I was like, oh, shit, I'm really here. And I hear him say, watch out. It's like, it gets so silent when I turn the corner. Like, it's quiet. I'm zero in. It's, like, dead silence like mm-hmm. in my brain. And then I hear, watch out. And, like, dead silence. And then like I hit him, and then the crowd just erupted. So it was like it was quiet, like slow motion, and then boom! It's, it was it was it was it was surreal. Uh, it was surreal. But uh, yeah, I man, that was a yeah. You, you, hey, you got me over here thinking, checking a stroll down memory lane, man. You got,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm I'm getting goosebumps over here just thinking about it. For sure. I, mean, I was uh, I was in that stadium and. There were several points in that game when it truly felt like I mean as a fan it was like you know what we had fun it was great coming out here Notre Dame had some great fans we saw their campus and this was a fun experience and it's like we were preparing ourselves for a loss because you could see them driving down the field and you know they weren't they weren't down but a point and so they just needed a field goal to win and they were just about there when you made that play right. so we were all preparing ourselves for, for the pain that we had felt so much in the in the recent years as a Georgia fan and that play is like it's changed everything because it was like we really did it and uh and of course you know they they put the savage pads on you and and it was a, a celebration for the ages
1: yeah it was a walk-off home run man. like in football like you, you kind of don't you don't see that that often yeah you don't see that often at all it's like the story began it. That, and that game was like surfing on our calendar like, all right, if we win this game, everybody else we gonna beat. But this the game we gotta get over the hump. And everybody else we're gonna we gonna take care of them. But this the game right here we gotta get it's on the road. You know, second game of the season, you know, like your team is not really where you wanna be, kinda still rusty. It like this the game we gotta get. And we
0: got it. We got it, and, and we never looked back. I mean, I remember Mississippi State the next week, and the media mostly picked Mississippi State to win that game. And uh, were they wrong about that? I mean, we we were hot as blazes after that and went on to, to roll through the SEC East. But I want to talk about, because this Georgia team's going to be playing Notre Dame, I want to talk about the matchup there a little bit um, in general. There's always been speculation that Notre Dame's Lines struggle against SEC size and speed. As someone who actually faced off with them in that game, how do you feel Notre Dame compares to Georgia's SEC competition in regards to the size and speed, and just the overall athleticism of the team?
1: Uh, You know, man, I think they do. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a it's it's a organization that's legendary for a reason. They've had great players go there. There, they won championships there. So. They get the same recruits. Everybody else get just a different brand of football that they're playing. So, like, I mean, they had two of their old linemen with top ten two years ago. So, unless mm-hmm. doesn't let you know what top ten, they have.
0: Both, both um, of which didn't stand a chance against you and Zoe, by the way.
1: For <laughs> sure. No doubt. <laughs> um, but, uh, so, yeah, I feel like they can definitely
0: compete, you know.
1: But me being the N C C guy, of course, I'm going to say, you know, I don't think they can handle the physicality for all four quarters. Even though they are a physical team, um, I think we just see them more. So, it? so we're able to sustain more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and um, you know, we're this year, man, we're so deep. You know, I feel like my year was kind of like the Kirby era kind of first starting. Now you've got, like, two recruiting classes in, and, like, the depth is crazy. So it's like it's fresh five stars and just fresh, like, star players all over the field just rotating. Like, our fifth-string back looks like a first-string back. It's like, Charlie, like, can they match up with that? It's going to be a question that, you know, I think a lot of teams are going to struggle with.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and you mentioned earlier how those outside linebackers have always been the playmakers. You mentioned Jordan Jenkins before you and Zo. And there's a new breed of bulldog right now. And the new defensive coordinator, Dan Lanning, is focusing on creating havoc. So far, the results have really spoken for themselves. I'm wondering, how do you think this more aggressive defensive approach will translate against an athletic quarterback like Ian Book for Notre Dame? Um,
1: Actually, man, I think it's going to translate well because, like I said, they teach a pro style offense, so his main goal is to throw from the pocket. Like right. Wimbush could run, too, and our game plan last year in the first quarter was to keep him in the pocket, and they kind of moved the ball down that field, and then until we started kind of getting more aggressive with our rushes and not really worry about giving him escaping lanes, I mean, he was still trying to sit back there and throw the ball, and and it allowed us to get, you know, pressure on him, so um, they don't have a run-first style Scheme for for like a scrambling quarterback. Like I think their quarterback's trying to be a pocket first. Then when something breaks down, he can make something happen. So, right. um, I mean, it's basically kind of like the same team that we played. So I mean, the game plan is going to be very similar, man. It's both two pro style offenses. Um, you know what's coming. You know, if a tight end line up here. It's coming here. I mean, it, it, it's pro style. It's kind of not going to be the scheme. It's going to be down to the offensive defensive line and what skill players can be
0: play. Yeah, and it certainly feels like that kind of game favors Georgia with the talent that we have and the depth that we have. It kind of like, we tell you what we're about to do and we're just going to do it anyway. Usually the team with with the better athletes comes out on top in those situations, and that's what we saw last time. But if this game were to come down to another outside linebacker making a clutch play, a player like yourself, of the outside linebackers in in this current team, which one do you think you would put your money on on making that Davin Bellamy strip sack there at the end?
1: Uh uh I like um you know, I like all of them, man. They uh they remind us of uh when it was Mitchell and, and Leonard. Mm-hmm. And so where you just got like four guys and the other two that's backing them up will go start anywhere else. Right. So it's the, 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 they're in that situation right now, and one thing that we hated, Mizo Jordan, and and, and, and Flow was when people tried to say who was the better out of us for because we know we all have four different styles of the game and bring four different types of things to the game. Um, so I don't really want to you know say which one I think is going to make a play because
0: yeah, that's fair. all of them can
1: ball. Yeah, all of them can ball, man. And I know what it feels like to be. In that situation where everybody's like, okay, somebody said middle is better, someone said it's better, someone said it's there, someone said it's that is You know, um, all of them are unique rushers in their own way. And when you have four rushers like that, you can line them up anywhere uh, on the field at the same time, like Georgia does a lot on their third down packages and just let them cause havoc. Um, so I like all of them, man. I, I was there. When most of them was on their recruiting, it's mostly all of them. So I got a good relationship with all of them. So, you know, they still hit me up. You know, um, but excited to see them. Man, like George's turned into outside linebacker. youth, and I love
0: it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, last question for you, Davin. Uh, I know you got a busy, busy NFL schedule over there. So I want to wrap this thing up. But I am curious. What is your score prediction for this game? I feel like I know who you're going to pick to win, so I just got to jump straight to the score prediction.
1: Oh, uh, for sure. You know, i going to say Georgia. Uh, but like I say, I think both teams have a lot of talent. Um, I think it's going to be a 24-17 game. Whoa! And it's going to be 24-17. 24-17. Okay. Um, like I say, I I just think uh, I just think our right, depth. We're going to get them, every we
0: Yeah. Absolutely, there's there's no doubt about that at all. Well, Davin, thank you once again for for joining us on the show. I know the listeners really enjoyed hearing from you again, and uh, it, it means a lot that you are willing to come on. Thank you again.
1: Thank you for having me, man. Go dogs! I'll
4: be a dog till I die. Yeah.
0: And for part two of our "Dog Till I Die" segment, I've got college football Hall of Famer Scott Warner on the line. Scott, thank you for joining us.
3: Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Absolutely. Well, Scott, as you know, it's Georgia-Notre Dame week. And, of course, I want to begin by asking you about the Georgia-Notre Dame National Championship in 1981 that you were a major part of. Can you walk Dog fans through that glorious interception that sealed the Dog's most recent national championship victory?
3: Well, I had two interceptions during the game. And the one in the end zone Mm -hmm. was the first one the one at the end of the game, which I probably should have dropped, um, was, was, uh, Blair Keels being rushed by, uh, uh might've been Jimmy Payne or Eddie Weaver and, and, uh, makes an errant throw and he, and he throws it right to me on the, on the out of bounds. If I, if I would have gone and dropped it, we'd have gotten another 10 yards at it on first 10, our ball away we go.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: I catch it. And, uh, you know, we end up with the ball on the <laughs> about the 50. But uh, I still have the ball. So that's uh, that's the important fact of that uh, that particular play is that I held on to the ball. And even though the little guy from – the little ball boy from Notre Dame was attempting to uh, uh, <laughs> get it away from me. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, no way you're giving up that ball. Nope. Well, while, while that national title game and, and that play in particular is, is likely what you're best known for among dog fans, you were instrumental in a regular season victory over Clemson that allowed Georgia to make that title game in the first place. With similar postseason implications in this week's matchup with Notre Dame, what do you think it will take for this Georgia team to propel themselves into another national championship run?
3: You know, I was up at I was up at the game. Um... Two years ago mm-hmm. and and what a fantastic time i had what a, what a great location and and what it boiled down to in that game was who made the plays
5: mm-hmm.
3: and and that's what we'll see uh uh with with georgia and notre dame meeting again is is you know who's going to who's going to be able to come out and make the plays whether they be turnovers whether they be touchdowns um and and you know, it, it's easy for everyone to speculate on, on who's going to win the game, but obviously they both have great football players, right. uh, you know, on each of the ball. And, uh, you know, Georgia has been close over the years, uh, you know, in playing and in, in, in competing for the national title and they haven't made the plays, but then again, neither has Notre Dame and, and they're both right in the top this year, uh, and both have a great opportunity and, and we're going to find out, uh, uh, who wants it bad enough by uh, by who makes the plays and and how it turns out.
0: Mm-hmm. And one of the players who will certainly or hopefully, I guess, have the opportunity to to make some plays is your nephew, tight end Charlie Warner. Like yourself, Charlie had to wait his turn to to gain a larger role at Georgia, but he's undoubtedly a very special player. And he has the potential to impact his team in the same kind of way that you did with yours. It feels like now is his time to do that. What kind of advice were you able to give Charlie going into his senior season?
3: I'll be honest with you, I've stayed out of the way because you're really dealing with a a different animal now. It Mm -hmm. is, it is. These guys are they're well schooled. Kirby's done a great job, you know, motivating him. And, And there's nothing I'm going to say to him that he hadn't heard already. Mm-hmm. From a, a, a thousand other people other than, you know, good luck and and, and make, you know, good players and, and great players make big plays and and uh, his opportunity is now. So it's uh it's up to him. He'll and, and you know, gosh, he's done nothing but but uh help guys score touchdowns and, and uh as long as you make make that happen, he'll uh uh it'll all turn out well for him
0: in the long run. Mhm. Just, just curious while we're on the topic of Charlie, and it is a different animal now, so I'm curious, how do you think college senior Scott Warner would fare in a one-on-one matchup with college senior Charlie Warner?
3: <laughs> Not well. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's 250 pounds. I was barely 200, uh, six foot tall. He, he, he is as fast or faster than I was uh, uh, easily. Uh, at two hundred and fifty pounds and he's just a great athlete. He can leap through the sky. So yeah, I mean he was a he was a high school uh high hurdle uh champion. Uh, uh he's he's a I, I've been accused of being a good athlete. He's a he's a much better athlete. Um so and, and that's obvious. I, I doubt we we were talking amongst our eighty team uh on, on Labor Day weekend, we had to get together about eight or nine of us. And, and we probably wouldn't get on the field today. If, if we came out now, we would mm-hmm. not be able to play because the the players are so much faster, bigger and stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we'd, we'd be, uh, we'd be watching. And yeah. I, that, that being said, you know, I, I, it, it, there were, we weren't slow, uh, and we weren't bad. We didn't miss tackles that, those kind of things. And, uh, and we played smart, so yeah, it was they're good players, but uh, boy, the talent now is is, is extraordinary.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you as a player who was accused of of being athletic did help your team win a national championship in your senior year, and I'm curious outside of of having a senior leader named Warner on the roster. Are there any other similarities that you see between this 2019 Georgia Bulldogs team and the 1980 team, 1981 championship team that you were fortunate enough to be a part of?
3: I, I You know, I really do. And, and, and it's their offensive line. They're, 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 there's a bunch of leaders on that offensive line that, uh, and, you know, everybody can say what they want. Running backs don't go unless the offensive line goes. And, and so... Uh, these guys are really something. Uh, they are they are impressive, and uh, I don't think they've been tested yet. Uh, we'll, we'll find. I'm sure they they will against the uh, Golden Domers. There's no doubt about that. But uh, I, I see that uh, just in the way they operate on the field and, and the games I've watched.
0: Mm-hmm. Well. The offensive line is probably one of Georgia's biggest advantages in this game, and in the last two matchups, uh, it was actually, well, in the last game, it was the defensive line that forced a turnover in in the final minutes, and of course, you were one to do so in 1981. A huge emphasis of this Georgia team is creating what the coaching staff calls havoc plays on defense. As someone who played such a major part in many of the Havoc plays that won Georgia that game in 1981, what can you say about the importance of such plays and what can you say about the challenges of of forcing turnovers and getting sacks without also risking giving up big plays by overcommitting as a defense?
3: (laughs) Missing tackles and, and, uh, well, it's huge. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I go back to South Carolina in 1980, George Rogers has already run over me twice, <laughs> and the the third time I knew better than to attempt, and so I'm going in, I'm going in the backfield on a tackle, and instead of instead of trying to tackle him, which had been quite futile in the in the process up to then, sure, I, I go to strip the ball, and I strip the ball out, and and uh, I think Chris Welton recovered it. Somebody did anyway. All, all I know is it, it it happened in a flash, right? You know, right before me. But and, and somebody said, well, "Why'd you? Why, you know, why didn't you tackle him?" And I said, "Because I'd already tried that twice and it didn't work." <laughs> he just, I mean, I've, he actually freight trained me. If you go back and watch the film, he actually ran over me just and stepped on me as he went by. Yeah, yeah. early in the game. Yeah. <laughs> so when that when that happens, you know, there, there's got to be a different tactic.
0: Yeah. And, mm-hmm.
3: and what's the most important thing on the field? The ball. You know, that's what everybody wants. So mm-hmm. make it happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, you mentioned before that the, your last matchup with Notre Dame, or, or I guess the one that you were a part of, they looked like the big guys on the other side of the field um, and, mm-hmm. and they were such a... Daunting opponent to go up against. Do you feel like the tables have turned uh, with with Georgia's recent recruiting and in, in the state of Georgia football at the moment?
3: Oh, most definitely. I mean, <laughs> have you have you actually been on the field with those guys at practice? They are monsters. Mm-hmm. The offensive defensive linemen, they are absolute monsters. I mean, a three hundred four hundred pound man, it it, it just ragdolls you. Just grab you by the throat, and just racked out of you. Nothing you could do. Mm-hmm. But you just. I mean, it's hard to explain and understand the power that those guys can generate. Really, truly. Yeah. Really, I mean, yeah, it's they're incredible.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, with with that said, the last two Notre Dame games have, have come down to forced turnovers in the final minutes of the game. I get the feeling that that you're pretty confident in Georgia pulling this one off. My question is, is in regards to the fashion in which they do so. How, how do you see Georgia going out there and playing against Notre Dame on Saturday?
3: I, they're going to hammer the ball and mm-hmm. hammer the ball and hammer the ball, and then they're going to uh, – once they get them lulled into the, the uh, running back uh, left and, and right, then they'll throw deep, and uh, it'll loosen them up. But, yeah, they, they – uh, it's going to be a battle of wills, and, and 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 I will say this: thank goodness we're playing in Athens because mm-hmm. I don't know that we could survive another uh, uh, trip to South Bend and and come out a uh, uh, winner.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, it it certainly did help that we had at least a fifty fifty crowd at that game. I know you were there, and uh, I was I had the opportunity to be there as well. But I will, uh, I will be there on Saturday for this one. And I'm really looking forward to the, the atmosphere in Athens on Saturday. It's, it's going to be unlike any game in, in years. But Scott, I again really appreciate you taking a moment of your time to join us on the show and, and talk football a little bit with us. Thank you very much again. You bet. Anytime.
3: And go, dogs.
0: <laughs> go, dogs. All right, now it is time for the Savage Pad Savagery segment with frequent show correspondent Corey Amick. Corey, what's up? Hey,
4: Dag. How are you, man?
0: I'm good. I am ready to roast Georgia Tech because in front of a home crowd of several hundred people, they fell to the Citadel in overtime last Saturday. But it gets worse. The Jackets actually won the game on a walk-off touchdown run with four seconds remaining. Crowd's going wild. Players are celebrating the victory. And that's when it came to the players' attention that head coach Jeff Collins called a timeout just before the ball snapped. Now, Corey, what do you think Coach Collins saw that led him to use a timeout in that moment?
4: So, Doug, I don't know if you saw this in in the off season, but Jeff Collins has this weird fixation and almost like fetish for Waffle House. Okay. And so I was—I mean, the only thing I can think of is that I'm assuming Tech. You know, to make some extra money, they probably have ads running around. You know, their big screen, um, like during the during the game, probably like mid play even. And so, I'm guessing there was a Waffle House ad scrolling across the board. And so, he called time out just to get that much more time to to stare at those mouth-watering grease-filled waffles made by Atlanta's finest. And so, I think he calls the timeout, watches the Waffle House ad, and then his players come over to him and are asking him what's up. And I think he was probably just in the zone, thinking about the classic yellow and black
0: yeah wow that's really unfortunate that the waffle house ad came on at that point but something to keep in mind moving forward in the season because that's something that that could affect the jackets down the road without a without a doubt and in this game it wasn't just waffle house that that got to georgia tech the triple option offense of all things was their kryptonite all game long as the Citadel kept the Georgia Tech defense guessing on which of the three options they would go to. Corey, you're a football guy. For our listeners at home who don't understand the triple option, can you explain what it is about the triple option that is so confusing to a group as notoriously smart as the Georgia Tech football team?
4: All right, so to my knowledge, um, you know, I played flag flag football when I was in, like, fourth grade, so this is where I'm coming from. Expert. triple option involves – Three options so i'm sure the younger audience and some of the geniuses at tech um you know are more familiar with the rpo we hear you know run pass run pass option thrown around a lot now um so it's like that but without the pass and with two more r's so it would be the rrro if someone's trying to you know make it in today's lingo.
0: Right. Millennials.
4: Um, so your three, yeah, yeah, exactly. So your three options for who will run the ball are the quarterback, the halfback, and the fullback. Um, so those are your three options and the play can either go left or right. If you go up the middle, you're still somewhat going left or right, unless you just follow the center straight ahead, which, you know, sometimes might work. So it, based on like simple multiplication rules, which for tech students, they should they should be able to nail this. That's six total options as far as what could happen on any given triple option play.
0: So it's really like a 6 tuple so, option.
4: Yeah, so I mean, they should probably rebrand the name. We should talk to a lot of those FCS schools. But so any decently coached team understands. Um, so, you know, this is excluding Michigan and Tech based on what we've seen recently. The most effective way to shut down the option is to take one of the options away. So either play the pitch or the dive, um, but don't try to defend both at once because um, you'll just get beat. And so perhaps the most difficult aspect that Tech failed to grasp is that everyone has a man and you have to stick to them no matter what. And so I think that was a lot of pressure on those tech players to have to stick with one guy. Mm-hmm. I think one guy might have been too much. I think they might want to switch it to each guy covers half a person. Okay. And then, you know, that might just be a little bit easier for them to grasp at first until they learn how to defend such a, a difficult offensive style.
0: Yeah, the whole one-on-one thing can be confusing because you don't know always which guy's your guy and it can get tricky especially for really smart people. Now, in your opinion, what do you think yeah. <laughs> could could best help Georgia Tech prepare for the triple option moving forward? Let's
4: see. I think I think Tech should think about transitioning into a triple option team. So, it seems like if they would have had almost I don't know, 2 decades under the same coach of preparing for this type of offense day in and day out in practice, uh-huh. that they would probably have more success in the future defending it. So, maybe right. they switch to an offense like that down the road. I don't
0: know. Yeah, it seems like if they switch to a triple option offense, then their defense would go up against it every day, and games like this would be very easy for them. So, that is a, a really creative idea, Corey, and um, I think someone could get paid a lot of money to, to come up with that kind of idea at Georgia Tech. So, you, you could have,
4: um, yeah. Maybe someone could even come out of retirement.
0: Yeah, that's uh, there. There are plenty of retired people that that ran the triple option at some point. Many of whom are in retirement homes now. But head coach Jeff Collins called this game another bump in the road for the Jackets, and he later cited a lack of energy as a reason for the loss. But we have seen plenty of energy in the jackets dance videos that they posted all summer um, across social media channels in your opinion Corey why is it that that same dance energy we've seen from tech players on Twitter has not translated to on the field results for the jackets and do you think that revolutionary and newer approaches like weightlifting could be beneficial alternatives to all the dancing
4: so I think you gotta you gotta look at like what's popular in today's society and so I think Across the board, there's a, a strong positive correlation between the number of players a team has that are SoundCloud rappers mm. and the success that a team has. Hmm. So you look at Tech's roster, to my knowledge, none of these guys are SoundCloud rappers. A few of them were featured in these dance videos. Um, but I think these dance videos would have been much more popular on Vine. But, you know, Rip Vine, that's not around anymore. Right. So I think because of their lack of going viral, They're just not getting gassed up like some of these other teams are. Um, And so I think the only thing I think they could possibly bring them back is if, you know, they get a video of the strength and conditioning coach just pumping up one of their dudes when he's squatting like 135 and everyone goes wild. Um, And maybe that video can can get them that energy to to get back on the right track. But it's definitely tough when I think they're kind of stuck in like 2008 um, when, you know, the rest of college football is definitely, you know, on the right trend of, The 2019 social media vibe
0: right well it's interesting to me what you say about the soundcloud rappers on a team because you think about that 2018 rose bowl team sony michelle i mean that's a guy i made a song with him dog till i die humble brag and wicks patton's a guy on the georgia team who's who's been a soundcloud rapper and who has gained a big following among players on the team and it does seem like there's a strong correlation between SoundCloud rappers on a football team and that football team winning lots of games. Um, And one thing about SoundCloud is you can't make money on it, uh, not when you're a college athlete, but money does always come into play with, with these kinds of games. And, Corey, last week you broke down how Tennessee paid BYU to humiliate them at home, but how that was actually just a business move that led to greater alcohol sales in the stadium and an overall net game for the Volunteers Athletic Department. How do you think Georgia Tech can justify paying $400,000 for a home loss to an FCS opponent?
4: So, I don't think Georgia Tech's quite on the hot seat to justify this um, this money yet. Um, I read a report earlier talking about how in 2018, four Georgia Tech officials, which were all earning six-figure salaries, basically just lined their pockets with bad money. With little or no accountability, Three of them misused taxpayer funds and exploited relationships with the vendors that tech was using. Mm -hmm. So they had parties like in football suites, courtesy of the bookstore vendors, golf outings during work hours, routine meals, and after hour drinking all billed to taxpayers. And then the fourth official actually went on a pleasure trip to China to show products for a vendor whose board of directors he sat on and he charged the school for his travel expenses. So I think you you gotta look at that and they're still working through that expense. And then they're they're actually their former VP of Campus Services convinced Georgia Tech bookstore contractor Barnes and Noble shout out to Barnes and Noble to pay thirty five thousand dollars a year to Georgia Tech Athletic Association for a football suite, which that you know that's cool. Barnes and Noble they can you know go up there read and watch the game. But is that where the, the players, is that was, where the
0: students go during the game? Because the student section. Yeah, I didn't to my see knowledge.
4: To, yeah, to my knowledge, the students well the students are supposed to be able to go there, but it says that the donation was to be tied to the contract for the purposes of student outreach. Over the next five years after this this contract was signed, the suite was used by the VP and his buddies. Pretty much game in and game out. So I'll wrap this up with a heartfelt I'm sorry to Barnes & Noble for having to pay for Georgia Tech employees, friends, and their families to attend football games when Barnes & Noble could have been doing something a lot better with their money. Yeah. Also, you gotta wonder if tech supports the troops because they put all those Citadel cadets up in the nosebleeds with the sun glaring on the whole yeah. day. So bad PR to consider there as well. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a interesting uh interesting perspective there from from uh one of America's own, Corey Amick. And it really didn't answer the question at all. Corey, thank you for joining us as always. Yep, yeah. thanks, Doug. See ya. Now we have Caleb Gwynn, guest analyst, back with us. Caleb, it's Notre Dame week. What's up, bro?
2: Hey man. Wow, it's gonna be a good week. It's gonna be a long week up to the up to the game, but I sure am excited. It's gonna be wild. Yeah,
0: I'll be honest. It's gonna be a tough work week because there's there's something very, very important this weekend that's going down, and how do we wait for that? Like I don't know. I always thought like one day when I'm engaged and like people's engagements are like eight months and stuff, and like I'm gonna be like, how am I gonna wait for that? That's how I feel about <laughs> about the Notre Dame game this week. Yeah. Like, how are we gonna wait <laughs> a whole week for this game? So that's
2: a that's a great comparison. Great, are you gonna go?
0: Expert just... analyst analogy there. I will be at the game. <laughs> I'm going with my friend Billy. Shout out to Billy. Um, my guy Billy. Yeah, we're gonna have a great time.
2: Man, well, I'm going to go down there and just get as close to the stadium as I can, close to the dogs as I can, but um, I'm not going to get in. But um, I'm going to make the team better because I'm as close as possible. Yeah, so.
0: you got to be in inath- – got to kind of, like, give off that positive energy to the stadium and at least look into it, like, over the bridge at some point before the game, and that way – you feel like you've done everything you can and maybe you'll get lucky and, and come across like some drunk student that's giving out his ID to whoever wants to get in for free um, or something yeah. like or or you know maybe a listener of the show um, will see you and say hey I recognize you because I hear your voice and I know what your face looks like because of the way your voice sounds and you must be on that show and I want to give you a ticket to the game
2: man wouldn't that be something I gotta I gotta make sure I speak up down there in Athens
0: yeah yeah, it is kind of funny, though. I mean, I feel like people know what you look like just because of your voice, but they don't, so um, all six of our listeners are, are not even going to know it's us when they see us. <laughs> well, anyway, I, I do want to talk about last week's game before we, we get too much into Notre Dame. The good, the bad, and the ugly from Georgia versus Arkansas State. Caleb, what would you see that was good? What would you see that was bad? What would you see that was ugly?
2: Um, good. I think just an overall clean game, uh, specifically from the defense, um, just just seeing the defense do what they do. I mean, we know a good bit about the offense and what they're capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, and just being able to see kind of some of the new players um, not necessarily new anymore. And now it's just time to be consistent. And uh, we're kind of kind of seeing that as a defense. Yeah, I, I just gained a lot of confidence. And the team as a whole, as being just a, a sound, um, you know, capable t- team of doing some good things. Even though it's you know it's Arkansas State, right? But just being consistent overall um, was really good to see for me.
0: Sure. And I want to talk about the offense because I saw a lot of good on the offense this week. It seems like they're gelling more. It seems like things are coming together in the passing game. And I was very encouraged to see Dominic Blaylock step in there. And play like a starter, make a big play, have over 100 yards, have a touchdown, and just carry himself with a professional demeanor. Obviously, George Pickens made a heck of a catch, and that kid has been a human highlight reel since he's been in Athens. I'm encouraged to see the young guys step in there and, and step up and look like they're going to be a big part of this offense because I think we need those kind of playmakers come late in the season when we're playing Alabama, and hopefully, you know, if, if we had the opportunity to play in the playoff.
2: Yeah, and it's crazy to think, you know, a few weeks, months or so ago, um, we were talking about the wide receiver core just being kind of sketchy, not really knowing what's going on with it. I mean, us dog fans kind of knowing the recruits coming in and Mm kind of what we had, um, we kind of had an idea. But to see it being played out and to see the talent and um, just the kind of players that we have, it's really cool to see, Mm -hmm. you know, live action instead of just uh, speculation and, you know, hope. So that is really cool to see. Yeah, Playlock and Pickens and the guys kind of showing out.
0: Yeah, and Terrence Edwards came on here and, and was telling us about this receiving group. Which, by the way, it was tough to see Trey Blunt not score on that because Terrence has always been very high on him the two times he's come on the show. And I really, really wanted to see him score that touchdown there, and he came about an inch short. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the, the passing game has, has been much better than than the media expected. It. it seems like if you go on Twitter every week, the SEC or SEC Network is tweeting out, you know, like, "Holy cow! Look at George Pickens make this amazing catch." Caleb, what about the negative side of the game? I mean, was there anything that that you saw that concerned you moving forward in the season?
2: Um, well, it's kind of hard to to get to these just because there wasn't too much, mm-hmm. you know, that was scary. But I would say that Tyler Simmons' injury was kind of tough to see. I'd say that's not good.
0: Yeah, it was, um, it was also on a late I, hit. I mean, they should have thrown a flag, yeah. but you hate to see that. I hope to have them back this week. I've, I've heard some certainly encouraging words coming out of Kirby Smart's mouth.
2: Mm. Yeah, and and I kind of – I don't think we talked about it on the show, but I was talking to some buddies, and I was saying – just we were just talking about hot takes, and I said that the, the players of the year are going to be Tyler Simmons, Brian Herrian, and Charlie Warner because of the blocking, the downfield blocking and just the, the leadership,
5: mm-hmm.
2: um, that they bring, even though the, you know, they're not five-star five-star guys, um, big recruits, but they're just, they just have sound blocking and they're just, there's the grind. So it really hurts to see a Tyler Simmons go out, even though, you know, he's probably won't be gone too long, but, um, just having that leadership and the, uh, blocking ability and just, the uh, consistency that he has. It's kind of a bummer to see him go, but we'll we'll be watching to
0: see what goes on with that. Tyler's contributions to the offense certainly go far beyond his his pass catching and his speed in that he is one of our premier blockers on the outside. I was encouraged by Lawrence Cager's blocking in this game, and I think he's going to see the field throughout the season regardless of what he does catching the football because of the way he's able to downfield block and the passion he brings. But across the board, uh, that receiving group really looks dedicated to to the run blocking game. And that's a crucial part of this offense. Something, something negative I do want to mention, maybe not negative, but a, a concern I want to mention is that it, you just get the feeling with George Pickens that he's always about play away from, from a personal foul. Um, the way he carries himself and his demeanor. And don't get me wrong, I am the biggest George Pickens fan. I mean, I wear that number one jersey with so much pride because it's from my hometown. He's a fantastic football player. And I, I've talked to other Georgia fans about this. I mean, people have come to me talking about, do you feel like George Pickens has the composure later in the season to not get a personal foul in, in key moments? You know, I, I don't know right now that he does. And if I were another team watching tape, and I'm sure there are teams watching tape, I'm sure they're going to have their guys looking to provoke him throughout the season. And so I do think that's something that, that he can improve upon, and it is something that worries me in, in closer games, um, having a younger guy like that, having to compose himself and, and handle things with maturity and ultimately just just with wisdom, knowing the weight of the moment and what's important for the team. So that's something to keep an eye on, and I want to move forward to our Smashmouth All Star of the Week, Caleb. What player stood out to you as a player that played Smashmouth, Georgia Kirby Smart football, and stood out on a team of guys doing that?
2: I got to go with Kenny McIntosh. I mean, being a fifth string running back, you know, fourth fifth string running back. You, you just don't really expect too much, you mm-hmm. know. Expect a couple yards, just getting garbage time. Um, but he's a running back on the University of Georgia, and he showed out. I mean, he did. He had had that amazing cut, you know, that like <laughs> the guy on his space
0: Sony and Swift's <laughs> same move.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just fun to see what Dell McGee does with the running back to come in. And um, I mean, I guess what I was getting to that is is that being you know at the bottom of the food chain kind of even though he's a freshman um, just being able to keep your head up and and understand understand your place and then you get your chance um, and he took advantage of it and he did a great job it was really cool to see uh, him have a pretty good day so
0: yeah and people got to understand that Kenny McIntosh is a kid I mean this is a four-star running back Georgia fans look at him as an afterthought most schools in the country most division 1 schools Kenny McIntosh would be the heralded incoming freshman that everyone would be talking about but on a roster with DeAndre Swift with Brian Harrion with James Cook with Zamir White Kenny Mac is the forgotten superstar coming in I mean high school superstar and there were <clears> concerns <throat> from fans about his speed people saying yeah he, he doesn't have the speed to do it in the SEC Um, you know, like he's going to be this scrub. Well, according to to Kirby Smart, he is a competitor, and he's come in there, and he has fought, and he's worked hard in practice, and he's been physical. And I like his physicality. I was impressed by by his speed um, because the way he had been talked about, it had sort of created this perception that he was this slow guy. And granted, there was a, a pulled hammy, by a um, safety on that long run he certainly showed shiftiness in his juke there and I'm excited for the future Kenny McIntosh a guy that I don't believe dressed out for that first game at Vanderbilt and you start to get concerned he's gonna get lost in the shuffle then he makes a play like that and all of a sudden we're thinking man this this kid could could be another important piece of running back you moving into the future so smash mouth all-star of the week Kenny McIntosh hats off to the kid savage pads player of the week this is kind of our our defensive playmaker, Reeker of havoc, Caleb. Who was your savage pads player of the week?
2: Um, I kind of went with a couple guys, Quay um, Walker and Jermaine Johnson, just for, just for their ability to get in the backfield and get the sacks. Okay. Um, we've been hearing about Quay Walker for a while. Um, you know what he can do, kind of switching from inside to outside linebacker. Um, and then Jermaine Johnson coming in from JUCO, you know, hearing yeah. a lot of great things about him. Um, again, it's just fun to see that the guys that we hear a lot, the potential and what they can do um, to see and what they actually do and producing mm-hmm. on the field. Um, so, yeah, just having that, that havoc factor and getting in the backfield and, and bringing the quarterback down um, was really fun to watch. So Jermaine Johnson, to me, just looks like an NFL type defensive end yeah. right now you know just huge quick um it just looks like that guy and if he can kind of hone that in and and, and you know get his craft down uh, i see him as being a big factor
0: for us mm-hmm. and Davin and i talked about this earlier but the number of pass rushers that we have at outside linebacker is just absolutely astounding and jermaine johnson is a guy that Came in, I heard comparisons to Leonard Floyd, who, of course, was a top-ten pick in the NFL. And he's not even starting the game with the team, although he has seen the field quite a bit. But he does look like an NFL outside linebacker. And happy to see him uh, be our Savage Pads Player of the Week here. Well, Caleb, I want to move into the pick-six segment. And got to begin by, by reviewing last week. We just did the Georgia game. You had the dogs winning by 42, I had the dogs winning by 38, dogs won by 55, so you got the extra point there. On the season, I have four points, you have four points, so we are dead even, and we're finally at a point where there are enough good games to actually do the real pick six, where we're picking six games and then picking the Georgia score as the extra point. First game, number 11, Michigan, at number 13, Wisconsin. Let's move quick here, Caleb, but I want to know who your pick is.
2: Um, I'm going to go with Wisconsin. This this will be a fun game to watch. I just don't have the faith in uh, in Harbaugh. It just doesn't seem. I mean, he's got ridiculous talent, and um, you know, Shea Patterson's a quality quarterback. uh, But I'm just not seeing it from him.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going with Wisconsin, and the sole reason is I think Michigan is absurdly overrated. I haven't seen Wisconsin much. I will be 100% frank. I, I just gotta pick them because I don't see Michigan beating a top fifteen team right now. From what I've seen from them, next game, this is an SEC matchup that that's interesting to me. Number eight Auburn at number seventeen Texas A and M.
2: Yeah, um, I'm gonna go with the with the home team, uh, Texas A and got- I think Bo Nix uh, looks to be you know pretty quality quarterback freshman right. coming in. You know, learning learning his place and learn how to do things. But I think Killamond is a outstanding quarterback. Well, not outstanding, but is is a good quarterback that can um, do really well and I think they'll they'll pull this one out.
0: Yeah, I actually, this one. I actually got Auburn here and part of me feels like it's that part of me that always picks Auburn because I live in Alabama and I'm always like trying to make it seem like everybody thinks they're gonna be good so that when they are good um they don't get too obnoxious. But I actually do think Auburn's the better team here from what I've seen of both teams. I think Auburn's defensive line is, is legit. Bo Nix is a work in progress. Great guy, by the way, from everything I've heard from, from people in my circle. But uh, great guy. Hard to pull against them, but we do it and uh, do it for the dogs. I'm going with Auburn, though. I think, I think Auburn's the better team. I think they win in a tough road environment and they start to get overconfident like they always do. Next game, Tennessee at number nine, Florida. Florida just lost Felipe, which everyone is very sad about, and I, I sincerely mean that. Thoughts and prayers up for, for the kid and uh, just an awful injury that, that he suffered. Tennessee's looked really, really bad to start the season, but they might be back now. I mean, they had a big, big win over Chattanooga last week. Caleb, who do you have in this one?
2: Um, well, I just I don't think either of these teams are very good at all. Um, there's ranked number nine, which is kind of – Crazy to me, but um, I'm still going to go with Florida just because I don't think Tennessee has proven enough. You know, they lost the two crappy games in the beginning of the season. Um, Chattanooga's not much competition. Mm-hmm. Um, Florida's new quarterback seemed to play pretty well um, when he came in. And uh, so we'll be watching that down the line. But yeah. I think Florida just pulls this one out.
0: Yeah, I'll say this. I don't like Florida's new quarterback as much because – like, Felipe Franks, he thinks he's Cam Newton, uh, but he's really just a pretty mediocre quarterback. And so it's really fun to pull against him. The new guy just yeah. kind of handles himself like like he's as good as he actually is, which is not that great, but still good enough for, for them to win last week. And he's just not as good of a villain. I mean, it's like getting rid of the Joker... And then putting in like some clown, you know, from from the carnival. It's it's not the same, not the same charisma, not punting the ball in the crowd after the games, not saying I do this to the camera over and over again right before throwing an interception. Just not the same player. It's really gonna be less fun to watch them. I part of me wants to pick Tennessee in this game because Florida's so overrated. It's insane. But I think Florida's gonna get another one here and keep winning games against bad teams in ugly fashions and keep their high ranking until they get absolutely slaughtered by Georgia later in the season. And that is as unbiased of a way I can say that as possible. I just just do not think they're good. (laughs) Um, And I know that comes across as very biased to, to everybody. But next game, number 16, Oregon at Stanford. Stanford got absolutely destroyed by USC um, so I'm going with Oregon on this one and I know that was one of your playoff teams, Caleb. So I get the feeling that you will too. Yeah. Um, yeah, Stanford's just not a good team straight up. And I think
2: Oregon is a good team. I think Justin Herbert's still a really good quarterback, a good NFL prospect. And sure. yeah, I think we'll kind of, kind of see that down the line. And I think it, it we'll see it in this game yeah, too. We'll see.
0: And I hate to go with Oregon because if it means Oregon's not that bad, which means Auburn, isn't that bad which I hate and so because I want Auburn to be bad because I don't want to have to worry about them because we got them later in the season next game number 22 Washington at BYU BYU's beaten USC they beat Tennessee as we all know and I still I cannot pick against my guy Jacob Eason I just can't do. he's my guy I mean that's that's been the two words for him from day one I'm going with my guy, Jacob Eason, number 22, Washington, winning on the road at BYU.
2: Yeah, I was about to say, we're we're probably going to be doing this all season, just cheering for our guy, um, Jacob Eason. But, yeah, I'm going with Jacob Eason. It, BYU is kind of a fun team to watch. Their coach is is really charismatic and kind of a seems like a cool guy
0: and fun to watch. But uh got to cheer for my guy. Yes. Last game before the extra point. Number 10, Utah at USC. As I mentioned earlier, USC beat Stanford by 25, but then they lost to BYU in overtime by three here recently. I'm going with Utah. I can't trust USC right now. Utah's a top-ten team. They beat Bama one time, whatever.
2: <laughs> um, I like Utah. I really do like Utah. Their quarterback really fun to watch. Um, they did a fun little story about how hard he's worked, and you know, like the, the um, his diet and what he's done to become a really good quarterback. And it's, so I'm kind of cheering for them. I like Utah. Um, I, I like them as kind of an underdog in this season. You know, maybe coming into the playoff picture, possibly, maybe not, but we'll see. I like yeah. Utah.
0: Okay, and of course the extra point, number seven, Notre Dame at UGA, number three. At nighttime oh man I can't wait but before we get all talking about the game I want to hear your score prediction Caleb.
2: yeah um, I really do usually coming into these games I'm kind of skeptical I don't know how we're gonna do but this game I feel pretty good I mean okay. looked at stats and, and watched game you know film and just kind of looked at Notre Dame and per usual they look fairly overrated. Um, I mean, it's hard to say that, you know, as we're about to play them. But uh, I think we do control this game pretty well. Um, their run defense hasn't done too well, and our running game has done really well. So um, I think our offensive line does really well against uh, Notre Dame, and I think we control the game all the way. So then I'm going to go with the 38 to 17 in that score, um, and they kind of score in the end on some jump time. So we we control it pretty much the whole game, 38 17.
0: Gosh, I thought I picked such a weird score that ours would be way different. So I don't think I've ever seen (laughs) Georgia score 37 points. It just feels like a weird score, even though it's a football score. But you feel like 42 or 45 would would better fit or 35. But I actually went with 37 to 17 dogs. Oh, my God. Yeah, so we're one point off. So uh, basically it's going to be a tight one between you and I, um, depending on, on how much the dogs win by, hopefully. I mean, Lord willing, this time last year, we we're doing the same thing with LSU. <laughs> so yeah. you, you never do know what team's going to show up. Um, but I've heard Notre Dame. I don't know. They're they're feeling confident, and I mean, I know some some Notre Dame fans that think it's going to be a game. I know Georgia fans that think Georgia's going to absolutely crush them. I watched Notre Dame for a little bit and. Pretty impressed, uh, f- for the most part, from from what I saw. But again, they haven't really played anybody. We haven't really played anybody. This is really the first game of the season. Everything else has been preseason for this, and we're just going to find out what happens. Yeah, I want
2: to see how good our offensive line really is because mm-hmm. I think I really do think championship teams um, do lie in the trenches, and uh, we hear it all the time. But I think it's true, mm-hmm. and I, I just want to see. Want to see our offensive line do really well, and I want to see our defensive line do really well, and I think this is the perfect game to see that. Yeah, and and I'd like to see, I'd like to see, you know, what Sanford Stadium can do. You know, mm-hmm. just the home team, home advantage, and the last, uh, the last uh, two years ago that we went to Notre Dame and you know, we just took, took it over. Yeah. And, uh So I hope, you know, obviously that won't happen to us.
0: Fingers crossed. But <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I think Sanford is gonna be ridiculous and awesome that's that's what college football is all about
0: yeah i well first while we're talking about the line davin sort of hinted at this earlier that last time they played the georgia georgia team did not especially feel like they they had the same depth that we do and over the course of the game there there is a element of of wearing the team down that georgia does against many of our opponents and that i hope to see against notre dame and, and certainly expect here and I also, like you were saying, expect maybe the best atmosphere in college football this season. Yeah. It's it's going to be – I mean, it was one of the best atmospheres I've been in when it was at Notre Dame, and the stadium was only half Georgia fans. So with, you know, over 93,000 fans in that stadium, with the majority wearing red and black, I, I can't foresee it being anything other than absolute loudness, absolute chaos – and an absolute nightmare of a stadium to walk into as an opposing team, and I can't wait to be a part of it.
2: Yeah. And another thing, um, just looking at the wide receiver core we talked about earlier, but, I mean, we haven't really played anybody um, notable. So I'm looking to see who Jake Prom feels truly comfortable with. I mean, because everybody's kind of shown flashes, you know, and we got, we got some new guys. Um, but I'd like to see who Jake Prom really truly trusts in. George Pickens has his, I guess you could say, attitude problems. Um, Dominic Blaylock's coming in new. Don't really know if he's ready for that kind of competition. Um, Tyler Simmons might be out, might not. Just seeing who Jake From truly trusts mm-hmm. in um, will be interesting to see as that wide receiver.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. One last thing that'll be interesting to see for me is that offense and kind of how they go about attacking Notre Dame. We always, always, at the beginning of the year, feel like we're saving stuff for for these bigger games. And we get one of those bigger games so early here. So we have an opportunity to find out what James Coley's offense looks like against better competition, I mean, against a a legitimate top-ten team. And we'll start to see how conservative we really are, how aggressive we can be, how much we balance the run game versus the passing game. I expect to see... A heavy run game with with some big plays in the passing game you never know what you're gonna see though I mean you just don't know until we till we play a team like this so it's very exciting man it's it's gonna be such a big week Caleb we'll, we'll try to link up in Athens of course um, to our fans that are going to the game travel safely please treat every Notre Dame fan with the utmost respect I have never had a more pleasant experience at an away game than Notre Dame. These are not Florida fans. These are not Auburn fans. These are not Tennessee fans. Not that we are to treat them poorly, of course, but remember that these people treated us with with absolute class and dignity in Notre Dame, and Dog Nation would be representing itself well by doing the same back to them. And For those of you fortunate enough to go to the game, I will be there with you. Let's be loud, let's be crazy, let's have a good time and and let's be that 12th man for these dogs. For those of you watching at home, you saved a lot of money. So, um <laughs> so buy like a nice dinner or something cuz you had enough for that and then like several other nice dinners and then you're still getting to watch the game. So that's cool too. So good for you. But for real, travel safe to the game and of course, as always, go dogs.
1: Go dogs.